electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Frank Collin, in for the Judge Scott Wapner. Megacap Tech misses the mark, slowing growth, taking a big bite out of Alphabet and out of Microsoft. What does this all mean for the tech trade and Meta, which reports after the bell? and rates versus reports. What's actually more important for stocks? And the really big question is a year-end rally. Is that even still possible? We will debate that and much, much more with our, with our investment committee today. All-star cast, Bryn Talkington, Steve Weiss, Joe Terranova, and joining me right here on set, Anastasia Amoroso. Let's get a check on the markets this hour. The NASDAQ was down 2% earlier, but recovering much of its losses this hour after getting hit hard by Alphabet and by Microsoft. The Dow's up, but it'll be up even higher if it wasn't for Microsoft, which has taken just about 100 points off the index. The S&P, as you can see, up just about a half a percent. The 10-year yield hovering just above 4%. Got to remember, it's about 40 basis points higher than it was at the start of this month. And that's the setup that we have right now. Anastasia, great to have you here in the studio. And I got to ask you, let's just make sense of all this. Any other day, we see Microsoft down big. We see Alphabet down big. The whole market might tank. Today, we're seeing the markets rise. We're seeing perhaps new leadership. Yeah, it sort of doesn't make sense because you look at those fangs and it is 20% of the market cap, but it's 15% of the earnings. And you would think that we'd be paying attention to it because it's really indicative of what's happening with the broader market in terms of margin pressure and in terms of the overall slowdown. And I want to come back to the big tech trade. But the reason why I think the market is able to defy this is because the technicals are really firmly entrenched right now. And the fact that the S&P 500 is either at 50-day moving average or very, very closely to it means that some investors are going going to be momentum chasing. The CTAs, for example, may be adding risk as we cross above those key thresholds. I've also seen the call options, for example, are being extensively bought because people are really afraid to be caught wrong-footed because they've been so short risk. So I think part of what's happening here is, is technically driven and maybe because we got some of this worst event risk behind us. But I will say, Frank, that I think the big tech Uh, trade is a broken one. And I think we have broken leadership here. And so you're right. I don't expect that to lead the market going forward. All right. Important to know that Visa is trading higher, also technically a tech company. Joe Terranova, make some sense out of this for me. I'm looking at the Nasdaq right now, basically flat, the S&P up a half a percent, despite these two mega cap tech names just having a really difficult day. Yeah, so I I think Anastasia did a great job identifying the environment. I'll add upon that and say, look, you know, what's the challenge that we're hearing from all these companies in their earnings conference call? They're talking about the headwind of a stronger dollar. Well, guess what? Value of the U.S. dollar is actually down 1% today. So I think it speaks towards having a more diversified approach to the market right now, not having the overweight exposure, which many, including myself, have carried towards these mega cap equities for technology and consumer discretionary. I think it's a moment where you're seeing that growth certainly begin to slow for both Microsoft and Alphabet. And collectively, what's that bumping up against? 
as Anastasia pointed out, you have the rules-based, non-discretionary funds, all the algorithms that are stepping in and saying, well, guess what? S&P back above 50-day moving average. We don't ask why, we just ask what, and therefore we're buyers. And the 100-day moving average at 39.09, that's very close as well. So you'll see more buying engagement there. I think collectively that's allowing for some resiliency in the market. And then the last quick point is also look at the semis. I think when you look at the semis, you have to ask yourself, is all the bad news priced in? That was a terrible report and certainly awful guidance from Texas Instruments. But you've got the SMH higher and you have Texas Instrument itself moving back towards unchanged. Yeah, I mean, some uh, signs of hope there when it comes to uh, the chip sector. But, Brent, i got to ask you, I mean, are you at all surprised when you see what we're seeing from Alphabet? I mean, five consecutive quarters of slowing sales growth. Uh, Microsoft, such a big part of their company's Azure um, growth to fall sequentially. I mean, are you surprised to see the rest of the market basically rally around these mega cap tech names? I think it's really constructive. And a couple points that just to add on to Anastasia and Joe is I really think you got to watch rates. And if you look at the two-year and the 10-year, they're both down 20 basis points each over the last, I think, five or six trading days. And so that continues as rates come down, stocks do the opposite and go higher. You also have next week on Halloween, the buyback windows open. And so I think people understand that the buyback window is going to reopening. So that can be another, another actually fundamental dynamic that comes into the market and pushes it higher. To me, what's so interesting for investors is I think that if your portfolio was just reliant on the companies the last 10 years that drove your returns, I continue to tell investors is that you have to put together a new playbook. And, you know, talking about Microsoft, you know, Microsoft in 2012 was 32, around $32. In 2002, Microsoft was around $32. So what changed? from 2012 to now, it's the cloud. So Satya Nadella came in as the CEO, the cloud, which he oversaw, you know, created a whole new business model. And I think that cloud business is maturing. And so investors need to have other things. And when I look at energy's up almost 2% today, healthcare is up 189, um, Cows, which is a free cash flow ETF that we own, is up 1.6%. So I don't think you need these big names to continue to drive all stocks to all stocks higher and that you're going to continue to see this dispersion with other sectors that did not have even remotely the performance of large cap tech the last 10 years. So Steve Weiss, getting a lot of nuanced takes on what we're seeing here. What's your take? I always come to you for optimism, reasonable thought. What are you thinking about all this? <laughs> yeah. Look, look it's, it's very, very clear. Uh, you can trace the decline in the 10-year uh, yield to the increase, as Bryn pointed out, in the, in the NASDAQ or, or in the S&P. And that's what's driving it. And people are deluding themselves if they think that's an indication that the Fed is not going to continue to hike rates because we're seeing inflation continue to come through. In fact, inflation helped drive Visa's uh, beat that we, uh, that we heard about yesterday. So, look, I, I've increased my equity exposure. I guess we'll talk about that a little, little later. Um, all you have to do, you, you got to forget about reading the tea leaves and trying to find some mysterious reason for markets moving up or guess who's doing what. Just listen to what the companies are telling you. 
When was the last time, and I've said this repeatedly, that Microsoft came out and cut heads? When was the last time that Google did it, Amazon did it, any of the big tech companies, Apple pausing hiring? The answer is never. So they were telling you that the market is slowing down. And still you've got great growth, 35% in cloud for Microsoft, but it's not what it was. So it's not going to save you. And I mentioned on the show on Monday that one of the companies that we own privately, invest in privately, Wasabi, had come out and said to us that, hey, spending has hit a, you know, has hit a wall in Europe and slowed down in the U.S. It's not hard to find that stuff out. So just listen to what companies are telling you. That's why they're down. So you really have to question, are these are the companies that we had from okay. a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, as Anastasia says, and I would tell you they're not because they're showing some cyclicality. So they deserve premium, uh, premium valuations because of the broad brand name they have globally, but not the, the real high premium valuation that, that we're accustomed to seeing. So look, there are places to buy. I think this is gonna end as we go through more of the earnings, and this is only one quarter. We'll see it even worse next quarter. I'm not just talking about the tech stocks, okay. I'm talking broadly. Well, so you know where I think you wanna be positioned though, I think you wanna be, let me just finish this thought, Frank, because uh, I'm sure you'll find it very interesting, of course, <laughs> is that you wanna be in the companies that have less cyclical companies that have less cyclicality as a surprise to investors. All right, on that note, we are, we are here talking tech. Let's talk about what you're buying. We don't have to wait till later in the show. You bought Netflix and Adobe. My question to you, did you make these buys before or after Netflix's surprise beat and Adobe put out its guidance that actually missed expectations, but the stock popped anyway? Yeah, I, I knew you couldn't handle the suspense, so let me get to it now. Uh, no, I wish I did buy Netflix before they beat. I didn't. I bought it after they beat. I had looked at it for a long time and, and just couldn't get there, given my bearish view. Uh, Adobe, I just bought it initially on Monday. I had said it uh, to Joe while he was sitting next to me, admiring my move in the market, uh, and I added to it yesterday. So, okay. look, this is not going to be long-term. Valuations come down dramatically. Um, I think it could move a little more. I bought Home Depot. That's not been a, a great position so far uh, because I'm losing money on it. Um, Bungie I had bought you know, earlier. I had said that, uh, I guess, about a week and a half ago, and that had a great quarter last night. So you have to be selective where you are. I'm looking to right. buy stocks that are, are completely beaten up, that the market's given up for loss, and I'm renting them. You know, I don't know that I'll be there for a long time. I also bought some mosaic, uh, mosaic rather, uh, today on the Bungie. They're different well, companies you're active. in you're different active. parts you, you of the You've got to let some network. other people into the show, man. Anastasia's over here looking at me. Um, Anastasia, I want to ask you a question. Why is trying to stay away from cyclical companies? Aren't Netflix and Adobe kind of cyclical companies? Uh, they are. I mean, I think this is some of the realization that investors are coming to. The, a lot of what was secular tech is also cyclical tech as well. And a lot of these companies are not immune from a cyclical slowdown, whether it's semiconductors, whether it's software, whether it's cloud, we're seeing that play out right now. But there's another realization point for me here is that we always used to say, well, big tech is secular and it's going to be just fine. But I think some of the secular trends that it was capitalizing on have actually gotten pulled forward massively during the pandemic and they're not repeatable. I mean, if you think about e-commerce adoption and how much forward in demand that had, 
if you think about cloud computing and all the cybersecurity that comes with it, all of that is accelerated massively. So the bottom line is it's very difficult for these big tech companies to repeat the growth that they have seen in the last couple of years in the next couple of years. So we can't just say, oh, by the way, these are secular growers and are going to be just fine. And then to add on top of that, you got the whole social media uh, model as well, that I think that's undergoing some really significant shifts as well. So this is a really critical moment for investors because, you know, we used, we're accustomed to saying, you know, for the last 10 years, this is the place to be as benefits from all the acceleration. But maybe this is not the place to be right now. And the broken leaders, they take time to either get fixed and eventually regain their leadership. Well, Anastasia, great point. Actually, I want to go, uh, J.P. Morgan Scott, uh, Marco Kalanovich was on the OT with Scott yesterday. Here's what he said about the tech trade. Take a listen. That's not our, our topic, you know. That's that's something that we have been a bit cautious in a rising rate environment or high rate environment in a sort of environment where inflation is a bit of a problem. Um, you know, that's not going to be your sector that will lead. You know, and that's also sector uh, multiple has been coming down, no doubt about that. But it's still perhaps above above historical average. So it's not it's not our topic. All right, Joe, over to you. I know you own Microsoft and Alphabet. I mean, what are you thinking about Kalanovich's comments there about mega cap tech? As I said at the beginning of the show, I think it's time to call into question the overweight ownership, myself included, that really the financial services industry has extended towards these companies. The last several years, without question, it's warranted. And on a day where we're seeing significant declines from Microsoft and Alphabet, um, I, I still believe the downside is somewhat buffered in these stocks because they have strong buyback authorizations in place. But without question, you can't not acknowledge that the growth is beginning to slow. The Microsoft post earnings last night it was down about 2%, not so bad. But the minute that Amy Hood, the CFO, got on that earnings call and telegraphed, that the coming quarter you'd see the Azure growth slow even further, that's when you began to see the precipitous decline. So a growth is slowing. You have to be diversifying away from, away from a lot of these mega cap companies. And I still think, Frank, yes, we're rallying today, but tell me that this is still not a defensive rally. When you look at healthcare leading, consumer staples leading, it still has the feel of a very defensive rally and I think underneath that, let's remember, new home sales down 10%, a three-month to a 10-year. And that's the part of the curve that the Fed really studies. That's now inverted, and it's actually sustaining that inversion for the very first time. It briefly touched it a couple of months ago and went back into positive territory. So I think maybe what the message is in all of that is economic contraction beginning to accelerate and that might lead to the Federal Reserve offering markets some relief in the standpoint of, OK, we'll step back 75 basis point interest rate hikes, unprecedented, and we're going to end them. All right. That's definitely a thought there. But really quick, uh, Alphabet and Google, um, excuse me, Alphabet and Microsoft, both down about 6% right now. So we know what happened. Let's look ahead to what's coming up. Obviously, Meta after the bell. Bryn, you already got out of this earlier this week. What made you want to get out of Meta ahead of its earnings report? Well, I had been a, a tourist, we'll say, in this stock. I'd owned it about four, four to five months, and I, I bought it. I mistakenly got stuck in the value trap, a value trap of, trap of a growth name. And yep. so I just don't agree with the spend. 
The stock when the markets rally continues to be weak. And I just think the numbers will not be good. I don't think anyone thinks the numbers will be good. I didn't sell it just because earnings are come out. I just don't believe in the spend that they're doing. And I thought that Brad Gershner's open letter was very thoughtful, very on point. The problem is that, you know, Mark Zuckerberg collectively has about 90% voting, voting shares. And so between what he owns and then the constituents, which he really controls. And so I think when these founders are doing and executing correctly, having that heavy ownership and that majority, no one cares about, cares about and is very positive. But on the flip side, this is what's happening. And so I don't think that he's going to pivot even remotely. And I think just Brad's letter reminded me of how flawed that ownership structure is. So that's why I sold it. And I also think on Facebook, wow. when you go back in time, Facebook has grown through acquisition. Instagram, WhatsApp, and then Oculus, which is where they're obviously mm -hmm. making the big bet, bet in the metaverse. Huge bet. I don't think Facebook will ever be able to buy a company yep. of meaning going forward. So for those reasons, I, I sold the stock. So Joe, over to you. I know you own Meta as well. And I, I remember watching the show. You're saying, let's stop calling it Meta. Let's just call it Facebook again. Let's, let's call it Facebook. And no, I don't own Meta. I haven't owned Meta. I will not own Meta for all the reason. Brent is so spot on. Let's talk about for a second the acquisitions of Instagram and WhatsApp. Fantastic. Save the company. Well, guess what? You lost the head of the acquisition department that actually initiated those moves. Great assets that are now part of the universe for Facebook. But how bad is Facebook at hardware? Remember the Facebook phone? Remember that flop nine or ten years ago? Actually, no. Now you want me to spend 14... You exactly. <laughs> so now you want me to spend fourteen. You want me to spend fourteen ninety nine or whatever it is for some clunky headset, so I could have a graphic experience. That's not what the metaverse is about. Roblox and Epic Games is telling you it's about the experience, and it doesn't seem that Mark Zuckerberg and leadership understands that right now. This is a company that is going in the complete wrong direction. The best thing they could do is put Brad Gerstner on the board, take his letter and say, you know what, everything that he's speaking towards in, in this letter, we're going to adopt those initiatives. That would gather some strong momentum for the company because everything else right now is falling short. Joe is not making friends with Mark Zuckerberg today. Anastasia, I want to actually ask you about what else is coming up. Of course, Apple, huge earnings report that could really be an inflection point for mega cap tech. What are you expecting? How do you see that shaping investors' views of mega cap tech going forward? Yeah, I think investors are really starting to differentiate within the mega tech cap. And, you know, there's quality names, there are challenge names like uh, Joan Bryn just talked about. And uh, I would suspect a name like Apple would fall into the quality category. What we're really going to get a read through is how's the iPhone cycle progressing and how's the high end consumer uh, responding? I suspect that uh, we should be off to a pretty good start because, again, that part of the consumption basket is not being challenged. Anything that still has to do with a personal tech device like an iPhone. Mm -hmm. Uh, is going pretty strong. And again, that part of the income spectrum is not being challenged. But if I may, I want to go back a little bit to, you know, the parts of tech that are broken. And I think the whole old school social media uh, is that model is incredibly challenged right now because First of all, you have the data privacy issues that have definitely not dealt with. You have the bot accounts. You have the fake accounts that we have definitely not dealt with. And as a result of that, I think the whole appeal to the advertisers to be coming back to these platforms and saying we want to continue to spend 
on digital ads in an environment where it's not clear what's happening with user numbers and users are kind of getting fed up with, with the ad oversaturation. I think that whole model is becoming incredibly challenged. Mm -hmm. and. That's why, as investors in big tech, I would really recommend differentiating within all those names. Yeah, why? So I'll come over to you. I mean, Apple reporting, obviously, they are very good at hardware. Um, a lot of questions about the iPhone 14 after the holiday season. What's your take on the report and what's coming up? First of all, Frank, how long do I have for this answer? <laughs> oh, only kidding. Look, my take on, well, first of all, let me comment on what Anastasia said. Uh, the economy, the first thing to slow in a slowing economy is ad spending. So I wouldn't equate this to an issue with social media. They've had these issues even in a roaring economy. This is more an indication that the economy is slowing down. So you're seeing it in ad spending on digital because that's been the major growth vehicle. In terms of Apple, Apple's got a great situation because they're not looking to me to spend the $1,100 for the phone. They're looking to the phone companies. So when you could trade in a phone that's for, you know, the iPhone 10, which I did for 800 bucks, only to spend 300, well, that's a great deal. Unfortunately, uh, for most of the country, they're not in a position to have that $300 in expendable income because they still see inflation just killing them, whether it's rent, whether it's their mortgage, whether it's groceries, or whether it's gas at the pump. It's killing them. So I'm not looking for a phenomenal quarter from Apple, but Apple, as I said the other day, has V-shaped recoveries because everybody wants to own it. If you take a look at Apple, forget that it's Apple, the growth has been punk for a number of years now. And services has actually slowed measurably. Now, that'll pick up because I just got one of my... Uh, you know, my Apple uh, TV went from $4.99 to $6.99. Apple can do that because they own me. So look, so I think Apple's okay. I don't own it. I think it's, uh, it's too expensive here. All right, we're going to uh, do the, more of the Steve Weiss show after this brief intermission. Still ahead here on Halftime. More portfolio <laughs> moves from the committee, plus trades and some of the day's big earnings movers, including Boeing. Farmer Jim, Jim Labenthal, joins us next. He was listening in on Boeing's conference call. I think Weiss is waiting for him. Halftime, back in two minutes. Stay with us. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. 
And welcome back to Halftime. And the investment committee is making some moves. Brent, your first sell. Let's get to your new buy. BJ's Wholesale, I got to ask you, um, with inflationary times, you know, this is supposed to be one of those stocks that people go to, but actually underperforming the market over the last month or so. Yeah, but it's done, it's done really well this year. So, you know, I sold Meta, so what did I do with the funds? Um, I bought BJ's Wholesale, which is really a mini, I would call like a mini Costco. And they're on the East Coast. And I was reading their report last quarter. Their sales were up 20%. Their net income was up 27%. They continue to have that. They have that membership model. They're opening 11, 11 new stores throughout throughout this year. And I think, like Costco, that membership model, they offer tremendous value and have a lot of brand loyalty. And so I thought it has a good multiple, good growth story, and it gives me exposure. Very, very different from big tech in a sector that I think is growing and can give me that Costco type. That Costco's type story and that Costco type loyalty at a cheaper, at a cheaper, much cheaper multiple than Costco. Worried at all about inflation impacting? I mean, you got to remember, you got to pay for those memberships. If I'm correct, I haven't been in the BJ's in a while, but you got to pay for those memberships up front, I believe, ahead of time. So worried about inflation hitting um, their ability to have people resign? No, I mean their 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 membership fee income increased 11 percent year over year, and so. That these are not ex like Costco is not expensive as a one-time fee, and neither is BJ's. But also, they are able to buy in bulk, and so they continue to give value. And so, mm -hmm. as people are looking to save more and have a good experience, that that BJ's continues to offer that to consumers. All right, it's been a while. We need to revisit the the old BJ's and stock up. All right, turning now to Boeing. Shares are down more than three percent right now at session lows. The company reporting an unexpected quarterly loss. However, Boeing did generate nearly three billion in free cash flow and reiterated its forecast for the year. Let's bring in Jim Labenthal, who owns the stock and was listening in on Boeing's conference call. You know, Weiss is waiting for you. Yeah, well, I hope that uh, Weiss is going to, you know, change as the facts on the ground change. But we'll see. We'll see. Um, this was a good quarter. I mean, make no mistake about it. And the thing is not so much the earnings. It's it's the free cash flow. Two point nine billion of free cash flow versus expectations of one billion. Um, that's a huge beat. They're going to be free cash flow positive again next quarter. And the, the key point here is that not just that the turnaround continues to progress, but that that's a key inflection point. The rub against Boeing for quite some time has been this huge debt load that it had to take out over the next over the last two years they're going to start paying that down and as they keep paying that down eventually cash will be returned to the shareholder uh, multiples will go up but but free cash flow is entirely dependent upon airplane deliveries. So why is the stock down today? The stock was up to begin with. It wasn't until um, production rates on the 737 MAX were announced in the low 30s currently that the stock started to go down. That's something that the markets will quickly adjust to and then recover from. Uh, this is all about engine supply. Uh, nothing Boeing can do about it. They're working with their suppliers, uh, GE, CFM, to get as many engines as they can, but that's out of their hands. Uh, they do expect to be in the low 40s uh, by the end of next year. And the bottom line is this, deliveries are picking up, production is picking up, orders are picking up, and cash flow is picking up. That's exactly what you want to see at this point uh, in a turnaround. So it continues. I'm very happy with the quarter and with the progress. Yeah, important note, that oh, loss sorry, is hey, off Frank, of a... One other thing, Frank, oh, one other ahead. thing, I'm sorry. You know, in terms of today's share price decline, I said it started going down when that production number came out. However, uh, you, you got to realize the stock's up about 25% in the last month, at least at the high point today. So a little bit of profit taking going on too. The, uh, today's decline is temporary. This turnaround is well on track.
All right, Jim Labenthal, we appreciate you calling in. Weiss, we're going to have to move on. I know you were sitting there waiting to pounce. All right, now to a stock that's lifting the Dow. Visa is higher on the back of its result. The payment You're company welcome. beating on the top and the bottom line. Bryn, you own it. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was a great number all around. I'm not surprised. You know, the New York Fed puts out, you know, consumer, consumer credit data. And more people, I mean, globally are going to be using their credit cards. So more swipes. So I think that as people continue to use more credit and less cash, you know, Visa obviously is in the, is in the center of that to take advantage of it. I know the CEO said they're not seeing a slowdown. And so that, that's, that's an interesting note. But I do think it's more of a pivot from cash to credit than a slowdown or not a slowdown. So great to see the number. Happy to own the stock. Yeah, great report for Visa. Anastasia, I'm going to come over to you. Any questions, any thoughts about the fact we saw some news yesterday? My colleague Kate Rooney broke some news that uh, Amazon's actually going to start taking Venmo payments, that this might be something that could impact the payment industry and PayPal maybe to kind of work its way into some of that business. Yeah, I think the new fintechs are definitely trying to find a wedge and uh, trying to find their way in. But I'm not sure it's really going to be at the expense of companies like Visa and MasterCard, because even if you are a user of PayPal or Venmo, you're still wanting to link to a credit card. And Bryn is right, whether that card got physically swiped or whether it's a card that's backing up an online transaction, you're still going to be benefiting from that. Uh, but overall, I do think the payment system is very much ripe for uh, disruption and the move from cash to credit, the move from cash cash to online is very much ongoing. Uh, you heard this the other day that the number of bank accounts is a record highs uh, in the United States. And I think with that comes the ability to transfer uh, money online to use uh, Visa and MasterCard. So uh, disruption is very, progressing very well there. So perhaps we have not seen the pull forward in that space as we have in e-commerce. That's still a trend that's firmly entrenched. All right. One other earnings mover to look at right now, Chipotle. Joe, you own this one. Shares down about three and a half percent right now. Well, the expectations were so incredibly high going into the quarter for this company, and that's why it trades at an extreme premium relative to its peers. I'm long the name. I'm going to maintain exposure being long. Um, Quite candidly, though, 10% up, 10% down off of this earnings report. I'm not particularly sure. What you want to focus on is the fantastic execution from management. And you look at that with a very longer-term vision understand operating margin, which matters in an economic contraction. That went from 12% to 15%. So if you have a company like Chipotle that can expand its margin, if you have a company going back to Visa, which is able to raise its dividend beyond the expectation and authorize a $12 billion buyback, these are incredibly important metrics financially and reasons why you want to own these companies. Yeah, you mentioned the valuation there, Joe. Chipotle actually trading at 39 times forward earnings compared to Apple at 24 times forward earnings. Wouldn't have suspected that. Uh, Energy, one of the day's top gainers with a bullish note out on the sector as well. How the committee is playing the group, that's coming up next. And a programming note, tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern, don't miss an all-new episode of Jay Leno's Garage with special guest President Joe Biden. That is tonight on CNBC. Halftime returns right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. 
Welcome back to The Half. I'm Bertha Coombs. Here's our CNBC News update at this hour. A jury has convicted a Wisconsin man of killing six people when he drove his SUV into a Christmas parade last year. Daryl Brooks has been found guilty of six counts of first-degree intentional homicide. Brooks defended himself at trial at times, admonished by the judge for erratic behavior. He now faces a mandatory life sentence on each count. A surge of viruses among children has filled about three-quarters of the pediatric hospital beds in the country. Hospitals are being forced to resort to contingency plans like sending patients to separate hospitals or opening space in other wards. And Russian President Vladimir Putin monitoring drills by his country's strategic nuclear forces. The Russian defense minister says the exercises are intended to simulate a, quote, massive nuclear strike in retaliation for a nuclear attack on the country. The maneuvers follow Putin's warning about his readiness to use all means available to defend Russia. Frank, back over to you. Our, our Bertha Coombs. Bertha, thank you very much. All right, turning our attention over to the energy sector, the oil services ETF ticker OIH is up more than 40% this month, and that puts it on pace for its best month in nearly two years. Today, Wells Fargo is saying the energy cycle has matured enough to fully favor energy services. In fact, in that note, they're saying they expect the the sector to deliver consistent, sequential, and year-over-year earnings and cash flow improvements. Uh, Big uh, upgrade from Wells Fargo. Bryn, you have a lot of energy exposure. What's your take on this upgrade, Halliburton in particular? So I think that when it comes down to energy, when you look at free cash flow and multiples, this is where if you're not looking at energy in your portfolio, I think you're just missing a huge opportunity. Right now, if you just look at the energy sector, it has a free cash flow of over 10%. It's next 12-month earnings PE of 8 And so you have really high free cash flow, just like Halliburton, you know, continues to execute. So I think you don't have to just look at oil services. I think across the space within EMP, with oil services, with uh, mineral rights, you can get really high quality companies with really good dividends. And also it's volatile. It's a volatile space that's not going to stop. And so you can still sell calls against these names as well, a lot of them, to collect extra income on top of the yield. So I think there's just so much optionality in the space. So if you're looking to diversify away from tech or some other higher PE areas, energy makes a host of sense for so many different reasons. Yeah, Joe, we were talking about this earlier. Other areas just showing some leadership today. Um, Energy, obviously a place where we've seen a lot of interest from traders and a lot of moves to the upside. Um, What do you think about this call for Halliburton and just the, the sector in general? Well, I'll take the sector perspective overall, and it's up 60% year-to-date energy equities. They're outperforming spot oil and spot natural gas year-to-date. For the month, we're up about 22%. A lot of people will look at that outperformance and say, okay, it's time to reduce your allocation towards energy. But all of the fundamentals right now still point towards maintaining an overweight exposure to the sector. We've placed a band-aid on the domestic and global supply challenges. We're only at the initial stages of seeing some form of demand destruction. And within that universe, you have companies that are focusing on the balance sheet. And for a shareholder, tell me what more you want the company to do than improve the balance sheet and turn around and return capital to you as the shareholder in forms of dividends and stock buybacks. So I think without question, maintaining the overweight exposure, whether it's through oil field services 
or the multinational E&Ps or the refiners is the right play. Having the transmission exposure, maybe through a chenier, that works as well. But there is no reason to move away from that just because the price of energy for equities is up 60% year to date. That's not a reason to sell. All right, Weiss, coming over to you, you actually own shares of EQT. Um, actually pretty flat, actually, over the last month, underperforming the market down today. What's your take on this call in the sector and any thoughts about your investment there in EQT? Yeah, my, my thoughts on EQT is that it's been a terrible investment when the market has moved a lot higher. But I, I, I think it's just uh, fallen, uh, fallen victim, victim to just incredible expectations of that gas and LNG. So I'm sticking with those because I think they work. Um, Joe, I believe, owns it also. Um, look, I've missed the energy trade. Uh, I should have listened to Bryn uh, earlier. But, you know, I sort of think listening to somebody from Texas talking about energy is like <laughs> listening to me talking about great-looking, curly, blonde-haired guys. You know, I'm going to have a bias positive. Um, but it's got some we more room to run. The Saudis just told you that last week. You didn't? Well, you, you should have. Um, the Saudis told you it's got more room to run. So I think energy looks fine here. <laughs> I like that shout out to yourself. That was interesting. All right. Ford shares hires investors gear up Thank for you. earnings after the bell. We're going to get you ready for the results and the trade next on Halftime. Stay with us. All right, welcome back. Shares of Ford higher again today with the stock up more than 16% this month. The company set to report third quarter earnings today after the bell. CNBC's Phil LeBeau joins us now with a look at what we can expect. So, Phil, question, any big surprises expected after that partial pre-release of the earnings? I don't think so, Frank. I think this is one of those cases where it's not that people will ignore the earnings as well as the revenue, because clearly that will drive some attention there. But it really has been muted by the fact that in September they said, look, we expect costs to be up by a billion dollars. We're not going to deliver 40 to 45,000 vehicles because of a shortage of key components and parts. And as a result, everyone is saying, okay, well, we know Q3 is probably going to be lower than expected, but they didn't change their full year guidance, so let's focus on Q4, which then raises the question, what will be the focus of Ford today when the earnings report comes around? And it really is going to be about where the company stands, not just with the production of internal combustion engine vehicles, as well as where the state of the consumer is, inflation, et cetera. What's happening as they ramp up production of electric vehicles? There's the chips and the parts supply component. That's more focused on the internal combustion engine vehicles. And then there is the EV production. That will also get a lot of attention, not only in the report, but also tomorrow when we finally hear from Ford executives about what the uh, company saw in Q3 and what it's expecting for Q4. And when you're talking about electric vehicles, remember Ford, it's number three in market share year to date, right behind Hyundai. But the company expects, and most people believe they will pass Hyundai before the end of the year. And then 23 and 24, guys, that's really crucial for Ford. As it is with General Motors, it's the ramp up in electric vehicles and how the company is positioning itself in that regard. Certainly something to watch in the years to come. But after the bell, Phil, we know you have the very latest on Ford. Thank you. Bryn, coming over to you. You're in the auto space as well with General Motors. What's your take on what to expect from Ford? And Phil mentioned some of the headwinds and some of the other things going forward. I think both companies, both companies, people are buying these stocks for their EV. I bought, I bought General Motors because they own 80% of Cruise, which, you know, Cruise dominates the driverless cars, which they're already rolled out in San Francisco. 
They're rolling them out in Austin as well as in Phoenix. And so that's really great technology that ultimately will make its way into the GM cars. And I think GM's just a cheap stock. And so it's really nice to see two iconic US manufacturers you know, in earnest, moving towards Tesla, moving into that EV space. But I think that the performance of both names over the next year will continue, will only happen if they execute on the EV space. I don't think people are going to give it a premium for their ICE, for their, for their internal combustion engines. Yeah, obviously we're trending towards a completely EV world. Uh, Anastasia, what's your take on what we're expecting from Ford after the bell? I'm not very big on the whole auto space. I mean, if you look at the index, it's down 35%. So maybe you want to make a contrarian case here. But also, if you look at auto sales, that have sort of flatlined and they're not really rising. So while companies like Ford and GM might see the alleviation of the supply chain challenges, I think they have the demand slowdown to grapple with. I mean, you look at the used car prices, the new car prices, they have surged. And at the same time, the cost of financing for those things has gone up as well. And by the way, this is at the time when consumer confidence is near all-time low. And we were all worried about a recession. So I think that's not the big ticket items that consumers are going to be looking to buy. So I would expect the cyclical demand slowdown to be a big part of that commentary as well. So not the space that I'd be dipping my toe into. All right, something to watch. Again, Ford reports after the bell shares up more than a percent right now. Up next, Mike Santoli joins us with his midday word halftime. We'll be right back. And welcome back to Halftime. Senior Markets Commentator Mike Santoli. He joins us now from the New York Stock Exchange with his midday word. Hey there, Mike. Hey, Frank. Uh, interesting action, as, as many have uh, been remarking this morning. Uh, you know, you might expect the, the big mega cap growth stocks to act as bellwethers. They actually haven't really represented what was going on internally in the market for a while right now. They did outperform in a huge way up into the peak uh, November of last year, the Nasdaq, and they've led to the downside. But the average stock has been able to diverge here. So I think that's one of the explanations for what we're seeing today, as well as nobody really had particularly high hopes for these numbers from either Alphabet or Microsoft. Yes, the stocks are getting hit. Yes, they were broadly disappointing, without a doubt, even relative to current expectations. But the stocks are only back to where they traded a few days ago. So it's not as if it came as a complete shock to the market. Naturally, the macro matters a ton. It has all year. Dollar down heavy. Uh, you also have Treasury yields pulling back again. It just seems to give a green light for this October trade, which is you know, rallying on bad news because everybody was, was leaning for even worse. Uh, and then this idea that we have the seasonal strength, certainly going to hit a test at some point. Short term, uh, after today, market's probably going to look a little bit overbought. We'll see where it settles out. Mike Santoli with the midday word. Mike, we appreciate it as always. All right, Frank. All right, coming up next on Halftime, two bullish calls on a stock that slid over 50% this year. Brent owns it. We'll debate it. That's coming up on Halftime. Stay with us. Welcome back to half. Two bullish calls in Roblox initiated as a buy at DA Davidson and overweight at Piper Sandler. Both firms calling its valuation justified, giving the growth opportunities ahead. It's one of the calls of the day. Bryn, you own it. I do. I do. I actually bought it right after the IPO. So obviously, as the markets reset itself. But since May, so Roblox made its bottom in May at around $24. It continues to make higher lows. So technically, that's great. The stock's around 45. I read both reports. They both have a mid-50s price target. So it's, that, that's a nice return. But I think if you want to play the metaverse, the way I'm doing this is through Roblox, which I think Roblox and NVIDIA, or you could do Roblox and AMD, makes a lot of sense. Because where Roblox is so interesting as a platform, not a game, 
is that they have over 10 million outside content creators that can very quickly create new experiences for the for the for the for the clients on the platform. So so two great examples. Stranger Things came out this year. Those outside content cr creators are creating the malls in Stranger Things, all sorts of different experiences very quickly. And so it creates really sticky engagement. And then the last year with, with um, Squid Games, which was globally so, so viral, they were able to once again do that same thing. So it's this really nice flywheel of they pay these outside content creators because it is really difficult to develop games. They're not having to do that. They pay those outside content creators to create really quick content, content on the fly. And I think it creates really good user engagement. So the way I would play it here though, if I wasn't an owner and I wanted to buy it, I would, if you bought it here at 45, because it is volatile, you could sell the January 55 calls. So only three months away, you can collect about $4 in income from premium income, which is around 8%. And so that gives you a total return if the stock was were to get called away at 55 in January of like around 27, 28%. So that's why I would play it here because it is at that high end. $50 has been resistance at the stock um, for the last for the last you know, four, to four months. All right, one more quick call. Disney reiterated as a buy by Deutsche. Joe, you own it. I do. Took a small position back in the middle of September, down on it right now, basically following Dan Lobin on the belief that Dan is going to be able to uh, get the company to move towards identifying assets that could be engines of growth, whether that is Disney Plus or ESPN. They need a source of growth. They have to monetize the assets. All right, that's it. Date, Final they have it. All right, thanks, Joe. Sorry to cut you off. Final trades, those are coming up next on Halftime. Stay with us. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. Time now for Final Trades. Anastasia, first up. High yield. In this environment, I want something that could potentially beat cash. And high yield index offers a yield of 9.6%. By the way, high yield fundamentals are much improved over the years. And these companies are not grappling with floating rate expenses. So I would rotate out of leveraged loans into high yield. Bryn. I'm Jeppy, J-E-P-I. Um, it's a defensive equity strategy, one of my favorite names. Sells out-of-the-money calls, volatility is high. Currently has an SEC yield around 12% annualized that pays out monthly. Weiss. TBF, I'm putting back, putting back on it's a hedge, and I think you don't go below 4% on the 10-year. Joe. IBB, biotech ETF. All right, that's going to do it for halftime. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, 
The ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.